Our sermon text uh, this morning is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. If you've got a pew Bible in front of you, that is page 987. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face to, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we, may, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Please be seated. Uh, normally I would quickly sprint off uh, the stage here um, to invite the the preacher up, uh, but I have uh, two announcements, two additional announcements. One is to uh, to welcome our guest preacher this morning, uh, Brother Chris Phillips, uh, who has been for the past 10 years a missionary in Southeast Asia. Uh, he and his family uh, with uh, four children uh, and his wife have been over there doing tremendous work uh, they uh, came back here um, at the, the onset of the pandemic and found themselves in a situation in which um, they have not been welcomed uh, to, to come back. Uh, and so they are prayerfully considering what God has in store for them next. Um, we hope that you, uh, as you hear from Chris uh, and his burden for the Lord, um, and, and what God is doing among the nations, I am uh, certain that you will uh, want to be praying for him uh, and his family as they consider uh, the, the things that are before them today and in the future. Uh, Chris is originally from Ohio. You don't have to hold that against him, though, because his wife is from Michigan. Uh, and, uh, but, but they have known Louisville for a, a very long time. Uh, Chris um, studied at the University of Louisville, and, uh, and in some ways, uh, as, as many of us do, um, come to know this place as home as well. Um, so that is, uh, that is our preacher. I do have an announcement from our pastor, Pastor Mike, um, wants you all to know that you um, as, as members or regular attenders, we'll be receiving an email from him this week. Um, that is, don't get panicked. <laughs> it is a, uh, it is a, a request um, that, uh, that I hope you will take. The, um, the deacons and, and ministry staff um, are going to be taking some intentional time this fall to pray and think about the mission and vision of Vine Street Baptist Church, pray that you would uh, to join us um, in in that uh, call to to pray and think about those things um, as as we earnestly believe that God has a unique.
purpose for this church at the corner of, of Vine and Highland. Um, Mike also wants to get some clarity um, from you as the congregation. Um, so, so don't just pray, but also respond uh, to that email, which is going to have some survey questions uh, for you. Um, so, so pray about these things uh, and respond uh, to, that, uh, to that email in kind. Uh, it is going to be, the, the, it's a survey, uh, I've been told, and so it will be anonymous. Um, you can always be honest uh, with your church leaders, but certainly if there are specific things that you think would be best said um, without attaching your name, uh, you can do that as well. And uh, we will seek to be um, faithful in our response uh, to what you have to say. Uh, that is my last announcement. Um, and with that, I want to invite uh, Brother Chris up. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, as Sean uh, read for us a minute ago, if you could, if you, if you have a Bible open, hold, open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll, we'll spend a few minutes uh, seeing what God has to say to us uh, from that passage this morning. Well, in a lecture to young future pastors, uh, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, the minister who does not earnestly pray over his work must surely be a vain and conceited man. He acts as if he thought himself sufficient of himself and therefore needed not appeal to God. I love the way in which Spurgeon can so quickly say something clear uh, and biting at the same time. Uh, we as a people of God need to pray. I mean, so much of the Christian life is a life of a God-given ability to recognize that we are incapable of doing so much that God calls us to do. So much of what Spurgeon said is right, and he said recognizing our inabilities is most clearly seen when we pray, when we go before our God and say, God, I can't do this. I need your help. I mean, just think about the, the, the well-known acronym that we can use for prayer. Have you ever heard of the acronym ACTS, the Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication? Uh, I mean, in each one of those, in each kind of those categories of prayer, we, did, uh, we, we had kind of supplication. Sean just let us in a, a few minutes ago. We, we confessed our sins before that. And many times this morning, we've already thanked God. But in each one of those, do you notice that uh, what we have to do is to recognize that we are fully dependent upon God for all of them? When, when we praise God, when we adore God, we're saying, God, you're greater than I am. You created everything out of just speaking words. I praise you. When we confess our sin, we're saying, God, I've transgressed your law. Uh, in Bible study, in Sunday school this morning, we looked at, at uh, Genesis 3, that I've sinned against you, God. I, I need your help. Please forgive me. We give thanksgiving to God. We, we thank God for acting. What we're saying is, God, everything I have has come from you. Thank you. Well, without you, I would have nothing. And then certainly when we, when we ask God of things, when we give prayer of supplication, asking God to act, well, what are we doing? We're saying, God, would you please work in a way that I, I can't work? 
Would you do things that I can't do myself? Would you change my heart? Would you change my friend's heart? Would you heal someone of a disease? Would you work in a way that I can't do? Well, in all kinds of prayer, our inability and God's ability are on complete and full display. Well, this morning we're going to look at the, the passage that Sean read for us just a few minutes ago in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And in this brief passage, we're going to see absolutely two things that are completely clear. One, that Paul loves the Thessalonian church deeply. He loves this church. And two, we see that God, not Paul, is in control. God, not Paul, is in control of everything. And so what does Paul do in this passage? Well, he prays to that God. Now, before we dive into this passage, let's just give it a little bit of context. Where did the Thessalonian church come from? Well, it's kind of cool. I mean, I love how God has given us his inspired word. We don't only get the letters that Paul wrote to these guys. We actually get the background. Where did the church come from? Well, if we think back to Acts 17, Paul planted this church. He knew it. He, with Silas and others, went and they started proclaiming the gospel. He preached and some people believed in the same way that I trust Vine Street was planted uh, however long ago Vine Street Baptist Church was planted. Somebody preached, some believed, but then Acts 17, we also see some people got really angry. The Jews were not happy about this message of Jesus. Now, I love this story because it's a bit of a twist in the normal narrative in Acts. We get lots of churches planted, and Paul preaches, churches planted, and then persecution comes, and then Paul goes to the next town. But the Thessalonian church is a bit unique. See, Paul preached, the church was planted, and an angry mob comes to, to, to arrest and to, to pull Paul before the authorities. That's all normal. But then what happens? Who steps in and protects Paul in this band of missionaries. Well, listen, just real quick. I'm going to just read a couple of verses from Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 6. And when the mob could not find Paul and Silas, well, this mob dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. Well, and the authorities then, when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, well, they let them go. Well, then these brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now, I love this story. Uh, who steps in and, and hides Paul and Silas when things start to get crazy? When the mob comes, who's willing to get publicly humiliated and who's willing to even give money to protect Paul and his uh, band of missionaries? Well, who is it? What's well, this young church? Uh, this young church that was just planted steps in and protects the guy that just brought them the gospel. A guy named Jason, who we really don't know anything about before that, uh, and some other brothers, well, they sacrificed their reputations. Uh, they sacrificed even their finances to protect the man who just brought them the good news of Jesus. It's no wonder why Paul has a deep love for this church, a deep love for these people. 
Well, if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, I want you to write down just one sentence, which I, I think is the main idea, and we're going to kind of surround ourselves around this idea this morning uh, from our passage. It's this. God's character and actions shape what we ask of him. God's character and God's actions shape what we ask of him or, or how we ask him for things. Well, this morning we're going to focus in on just the, the, the last three verses that uh, Sean read for us a few minutes ago, verses 11 to 13. This is the, the actual content of Paul's prayer. Uh, it's just Paul praying. We get a glimpse into just kind of his, we don't know that he, if he was praying this out loud or if this was him writing it. Uh, we get a glimpse into how and what he was praying for these people. And these, in, in this, we see three, at least, three things that should shape the way that we as Christians today uh, should ask God for things. Uh, we get three kind of guardrails of how we should go before God and, and ask Him of things. And these, this will be our, our outline this morning, just three ways in which our prayers should be shaped by God's character. So first, verse 11, we see, because God is sovereign, Pray for things around you. Pray for the events around you because God is sovereign. Uh, verse 11, we see Paul begins a prayer in a similar way to, I think, the way that probably most of us start praying uh, in any given day. Well, he just looks at the circumstances around him and he starts to pray. He prays that God would make a difficult situation, that he would make it better. I mean, we read a minute ago from Acts 17 how Paul was unexpectedly, I mean, he, we don't know, we think it was only a, a, about three weeks that he got to spend with the Thessalonian church. Uh, and then uh, he gets unexpectedly pulled away from them. And thankfully, Timothy got to go back and visit and, and came back with a good report. But I mean, Paul's the church planner. He wants to go hang out with these guys. He wants to know what's going on. He wants to encourage them. He wants to go back too. And so we, here we see Paul just praying for circumstances. God, would you change these things? But more than just getting a glimpse into Paul's heart and his desire, I think verse 11 gives us a great glimpse into Paul's theology, Paul's understanding of, of who God is. Listen again to verse 11. He says, May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way. Now, Paul knew that it's God who controls all the events of the world. Nothing happens outside of God's hands. He knew exactly, he knew that God was sovereign over every second that he spent in Thessalonica with this young church. And Paul knows that if he's going to make it back there, well, it's going to be God who makes the way. It's not going to be Silas coming up with some strategic way to, to get around the angry mob and back to this church. No, it's going to be God who directs their steps back there. Paul spent the exact amount of time in Thessalonica that God intended him to. And now, as he writes from Corinth, de desiring to get back and hang out with these guys, well, he prays asking God, and he prays asking God because he knows that God controls the events of the world. Because he believes, the, he believes that God is sovereign, because he believes that God is in control, well, Paul prays. J.I. Packer says it so well. He says, the prayer of a Christian is not an attempt to force God's hand. 
but a humble acknowledgement of helpless dependence. What we do every time when we pray is to confess our own impotence and God's sovereignty. You know, I've always particularly loved uh, the, the letter of 1 Thessalonians uh, because we get, again, such a clear picture. I mean, it just every sentence is almost just Paul's love for this church. He just, he just cares about them. But over the last few months, it's been the theology of Paul that has been an unexpectedly, it's been unexpectedly sweet to me. Not just his love for these people, uh, but his theology uh, that permeates throughout this book. You know, while our situation isn't the exact same thing as Paul, uh, the only reason that I get to stand before you guys this morning uh, is because I can't go back to where I want to go. I can't go back to our home uh, that we've had for the last uh, 10 plus years. As Sean mentioned earlier, in early February 2020, we came back to the U.S. What we thought would be about a, a six to eight week uh, trip uh, as we just adopted our youngest son. So we needed to finalize citizenship and passport and visa and all those things. And well, what we thought would be about a two month trip, well, we're now well into month 19. Just like Paul, it's our desire to return. <laughs> we want to go back and, and keep doing the work that we saw happening. But just like Paul, we have to press into the reality of not just our circumstances, but we have to press into the reality of who God is. Press into the reality of his character. And when we press into who God is as our sovereign ruler, as the one who is in control of every single event, well, that theology, that understanding of who God is, well, it informs how we pray. So, brothers and sisters of Vine Street Baptist Church, what informs the way that you pray to God? What informs what you ask of God? Well, pray for those who are sick. Absolutely. Pray for family members who don't know Jesus. Absolutely. Pray for events as you scroll through your phone and see the news and praying for things like we just did a minute ago of, of Christians in Afghanistan. Well, pray for those things, but as you pray, don't forget the one to whom you are praying. Don't forget the character of who God is, that nothing happens outside of his control. He is in control of all of it. Because of the work that Jesus has done in opening up the way to the Father, friends, we get to pray to the sovereign God of the entire universe. This is a unique to Christianity. Only Christians, because of the work that Christ has done to, to not only take away our sin, but to make us righteous, we get to go before God the Father, the sovereign ruler of everything, and talk to him. Paul got to talk to him about just, just wanting to get back to Thessalonica. Well, friends, we get to do that exact same thing. You know, one of the best ways to inform our prayers or to allow our theology, our understanding of who God is to inform the way that we pray, is to pray Scripture itself. Is to pray Scripture itself. Verse 11 is, is a particular context for Paul. Uh, he, none of us are trying to get back to Thessalonica. But verse 12 and 13, well, well, these are two verses that I think all of us could pray every single day for our local church. 
Well, well, that brings us to our second point this morning. And we'll see in verse 12, point number two, because God is love, pray that he would cultivate a love within us. Because God is love, pray that he would cultivate a love within us. Now, Paul continues praying, and he isn't just praying for circumstances. He knows that if he can't get back to Thessalonica, well, he still wants to see good things happen there. So he begins by praying for the culture and the life of that church that he left. He prays not that they would just all get along and kind of all be happy with each other, but he prays that this church would be marked by love. A love that only comes from God. A love that they cannot manufacture by themselves. The Thessalonian church doesn't get to define how they get to love each other. No, Paul prays that God would increase the love that reflects him in their life together. He prays that within this tiny little local church in Thessalonica that really is not much to get excited about, Paul prays that they would reflect the love that God eternally has in and of himself. I mean, God the Father loves the Son eternally, and the Son loved the Spirit eternally, and the the Spirit loved the Father. The, The Trinity is love. And Paul prays that that would be manifested in this church. And did you notice, just look look again at verse 11. Uh, Paul prays that their love would be expressed in in two specific areas or or two specific uh, arenas uh, of their church. First, he prays that they would love, that their love would abound for one another. Uh, That is that the members of this church would sacrifice for each other, that they would forgive each other when they sin against each other and that they would want to encourage and spur on each other in the faith, that their lives would be intertwined, and that they would know needs of so-and-so, and then others would meet those needs as fast as they could because they loved each other. So Paul prays that their love would abound for each other as a church. But two, that he also prays that their love would abound for all. That is, those who are currently outside the church, those who are not the people of God that they would have an evangelistic love. I mean, a Christian church is not supposed to be an an exclusive club where we kind of put up high walls and, and, and people have to, you know, jump through lots of hoops to get in. Well, no, a Christian church is like a family that's always on the lookout to, to bring in another adopted child. A church is to be marked by love one for one another, we sacrifice for each other, but a love for those who are outside as well. Well, friends, love expressed in these two areas, well, isn't this a perfect picture of the way that God loved us? I mean, isn't this a picture of the gospel message? God loved those who were unlovely. God loved he, he, he loved his glory so much that he wanted to create a people that would know him and that they could enjoy him. Well, so what did he do? Well, he didn't just choose one ethnicity or one geographic location. Well, no, he sent his son, Jesus. This is what makes us Christians. He sent his son, Jesus, to live perfectly in our place, always obeying God the Father. 
but then willingly dying on the cross for us, taking our sin and making it his own and suffering the wrath of God for us so that we can actually be forgiven. God cannot create a people who is sinful to be his. He is holy. It does not work. But Christ came to make us clean. And more than that, not just dying on the cross, but rising from the dead, God gives us a new life. We actually have new hearts. The covenant that we read just a minute ago from Jeremiah actually came true in Jesus. God creates a new people through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and for anyone who would repent and believe, for the neighbors that live right next to this church. The people of God is open to them. And the church, whether it be in first century Thessalonica or 21st century Louisville, Kentucky, we're to be a church that is marked by that gospel love. That gospel love for one another and that gospel love for those who are outside right now. You know, I remember when I was in college at, at U of L. It was really the first time that I experienced what it meant to, to live in a church that, that actually loved each other. I grew up with, you know, with knowing the gospel for my parents, was thankful for that, but uh, I didn't understand how I fit in the local church. But one Sunday in college, uh, it was a relatively normal thing. Uh, one of the elders of our church came and, and asked me just a normal question. He said, Chris, how can I pray for you? Well, that made total sense to me. I was a college student. He's an elder. Of course, he, he's supposed to do that. Uh, that's, that's the way the relationship is supposed to go. So I shared something with him. I don't even remember what I said. But then he did something that I'm never, ever, ever going to forget. He turned and he said, Chris, okay, I'll, I will happily pray for you about that. Hey, but could you also pray for me? And then he shared something. My mind did not have a category for that. Yeah, you're an elder. You're supposed to pray for me. You're supposed to care for me. That makes sense. But wait, hang on. I'm, I'm a lowly college student. I'm supposed to take responsibility and, and love and care for you too, an elder? Well, it's at that moment that the love of a local church began to, it began to, it's like turning into color in my mind. It was wonderful that I had the responsibility to love and care for others around me. That short interaction was what made passages like 1 Thessalonians 3.12 come to life for me. Yet yeah, that's the love that we're supposed to share. Love that doesn't make sense to the natural world. The love that I knew in the gospel was not just to get me into the church. That love was to shape how I was to live in the church, and it's to shape all of us how we live within a church. I'll just give you just, just one brief application from this, this, this second point. Uh, this is not a, a, a massive group of people. Do you know the testimonies of everybody else in the room? Uh, do you know how each person uh, came to Christ, all the members of uh, Vine Street Baptist Church? Uh, do you know the testimonies of how they came from, from death to life? Well, let me tell you, the best way to increase your love for the other brothers and sisters here is to hear their testimonies. Hear how they came to repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. Now, we're going to have differences of age or economic status or, or even different opinions on things. But friends, what a great way to cultivate love for each other 
than by knowing how God saved each other. Make it a point to know the testimonies of each person. Before church, after church, ask them, hey, just real quick, how'd you come to know Jesus again? I know we've known each other for 20 years. How'd you come to know Jesus? What a great way to cultivate love within each other. Well, that brings us to our our third point this morning. Because Jesus is coming back, pray that we would all be ready. This is coming straight from verse 13 in our passage. Because Jesus is coming back, pray that we would be ready. You know, Paul concludes this brief prayer by looking towards the certain future. The day when Jesus will return and when everyone will stand before him. As he looks to that day, he prays that God would do what? Well, look at verse 13. He prays that God would establish their hearts blameless and in holiness. That is, that these people would increasingly live lives that that reflected the, the inward change that has happened. God has already made us holy. He set us apart as his people. We're to live lives like that as we wait for our king to return. And he prays that God would make that happen more and more. So that when Jesus does come, he would find his people faithfully following him. When Jesus does come, that he would find his people living in a way that that demonstrates that they are set apart as the people of God. And that people are to, to look at them and see something of who God is. You know, have you ever thought about how the reality that Jesus is coming back, that hasn't happened yet, we don't know when it will happen, but have you ever thought that that reality, that he is coming back, how that influences the way that we pray? I mean, this, this, I feel this is unique to Christianity. I have lots of Muslim friends and lots of Buddhist friends. Well, there is no certain e- e- future for them. Uh, there is Muhammad or Allah are not coming back. Uh, in Buddhism, it's just a, a constant circle. In Christianity, we know that there's a day that Jesus is coming back. Well, that influences how we pray in, in every way, shape, and form. I mean, really, every single Christian prayer is pointing to the day when Jesus will return. Why? Well, it's because that's the day when all of our prayers will be fulfilled. When all of our prayers that bring God glory will be fulfilled. Did you notice how in verse 13, verse 13 is really the culmination of what Paul has already prayed. In verse 11 and 12, uh, he prays, that he might see them, and he prays that their, might, their love might increase. Why? Paul doesn't just want to hang out and, and have another barbecue with them. He doesn't just want to you know, see them be happy together and love each other. Well, no, verse 13, there is a, so that, I pray all those things, so that they might be ready for the day when Jesus returns. I pray that I could see them and encourage them. I pray that their love would increase so that they would be ready to welcome Jesus. Everything Paul prays for them is with the perspective that one day there will be no more personal visits to Thessalonica. That one day there will be no no more opportunity for love to grow, for sin to be forgiven of one another. But that one day, this little church's faith will be made sight. And Paul's primary concern, 
His primary love, his primary desire for these people is to see them ready for that day when Jesus does come back. I mean, ultimately, Christian prayer is a prayer that looks to the end and prays in light of that. We pray in light of the reality that Jesus is coming back. You know, I, I love the... Uh, I, I, I'd, never, I'd never been to Vine Street uh, Baptist Church before. Uh, and so this week, I just kind of started looking online to say, ah, who are you guys? Uh, so I pulled up your statement of faith, and I love your church's statement of faith on the last things. I don't know how often you guys read this, but just listen to this real quick. Your guys' statement of faith on the last thing says, God in his own time, in his own way, will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in, the, uh, in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will, be, will judge all mankind in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place for everlasting punishment, and the righteous in the resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. Well, friends, what a great statement to read every day this next week. How much is that going to inform the way that you pray for each other? That it is secure when Jesus returns, the righteous will be with him and enjoy him. How much is that going to inform your prayers for non-Christian friends and family members? That there is a day when Christ is coming back and they will be judged. Well, pray for them before that day. Well, if you're like me, you don't naturally wake up in the morning with, you know, that great truth that I just read to you guys that, that is your statement of faith. You don't just kind of wake up thinking, oh, that's how I should pray. I mean, nor normally my prayers do not flow from the reality of Christ's second coming. Usually I'm just I'm praying because I need to make it through a certain circumstance or I need to have wisdom in this or, or that. It's just praying for my day normally. But friends, our prayers should have a so that, just like Paul's does in this passage. We don't just pray for events uh, like what is going on in Afghanistan to turn out to be good. No, we pray that justice would prevail because we know that one day it will. When the king returns, there will be no mass exodus of people from a nation. We pray that authoritarian regimes would fall, not just so that they can experience temporal freedom on this earth, but we pray so that they might get a chance to hear the good news of Jesus and to receive the promises of eternal freedom freedom from the enemy of sin and death. We don't just pray for our church so that we all might get along and you know, become the biggest and best church in the city. But we pray for our church. Why? Well, so that what we do together now, well, that our life together now would increasingly reflect what we're going to do forever in glory. Oh, that we would together enjoy our Savior, Jesus, that we would together worship Him, and that we would together find unity in Him and in nothing else. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. For us Christians, that is glorious news. And He will make all things right, and He will usher in eternity 
Friends, let's make our prayers look forward to that day. Let's have a so that in our prayers for our church, for those around us, as we look forward to the day when Christ will return. Well, one of my favorite hymns uh, that I've enjoyed singing now that we're back in the U.S. is Afflicted Saint to Christ Draw Near. The author of this hymn is John Fawcett. Uh, John lived a long time ago in England, uh, but he had lost both his parents by the age of 12 and then was later converted at the age of 16 when he heard the famous preacher George Whitfield. And then he spent most of his life faithfully serving a, a small, poor, and seemingly insignificant Baptist church in England. But for this church, as insignificant as they looked to the world, John knew that Jesus had come to die for them and that he would one day come and take them home with him. So he wrote this hymn. Just read two stanzas from it. He wrote for his church, When called to bear your weighty cross, or sore affliction, pain, or loss, or deep distress or poverty, Still as your days, your strength shall be. So sing with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. Well, Fawcett had confidence in God, who, <clears throat> in who God was and what God has done. He knew that victory was secured for this small little congregation in England. And that reality, that he knew those things to be true, well, that fueled the way that he would pray for them to persevere. That he would fuel that, their, 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 their prayer, his prayer for them, that they would persevere to when that victory would be not in faith, but it would be seen in sight. The future day when the king returns... Well, friends, it should shape the way that we pray. Let's pray that God would give us the strength to wait for that day and to pray earnestly as we wait. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise as our eternally good God, the one who has made a way for us insignificant as we are to come before you and make our requests known to you. Father, we ask that you would make us to increase in love for one another and for the community around us so that you might establish our hearts blameless in holiness before you, our God. And Father, that you would establish us blameless and create in us an expectancy for our King Jesus to return. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen.